This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 1, which you can find on page 1025 in the Church Bibles. We're reading first in chapter 1 and then we'll move on to chapter 3. But in chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now we're going to move to chapter 3 and verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of words of, the, of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. 
every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the word of the Lord. just take a moment to pray before we look at God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask again this morning as we come to your word, that in the power of your spirit, would you reveal Jesus to us. We recognize that we're in a time, we're in an age, in a season where there seems to be plenty of chaos. So we pray, Lord Jesus, would you bring your godly order to our disorder? Would your kingdom come, your will be done, in Walcott, in St. Swithin's, as it is in heaven? Amen. I'll just quickly say, I did say to someone this morning, I'm, um, I finally got round to uh, going to see the optician this week. Uh, it's taken me nine, nine months to get around to go and see the optician because I started to, to realize as I wore my glasses that I can't actually read anything if I look like that. And it took me nine months, so I, that's why I took my glasses off and I have been for the last nine months. I went to see the optician, had a little chat to him and it was all a bit technological and he was about 15, uh, but that shows, my, that shows my age, but I forgive him for that. And, um, and then we got in conversation and had a really interesting conversation. You know, when you tell them you're a vicar, that always produces something, a little bit of a kind of conversation. But then he said, uh, he said, tell me about your eyes. And I said, well, you know, they're not as they were, and I'm struggling to see. And he did all the tests, and he basically turned to me and said, you're getting old. <laughs> so thank you for your encouragement. Um, do I pay you for that? Yes, I do pay you for that, and off we go. Anyway, so I'm not going to wear my glasses this morning until I finally do get around to actually buying some. Um, Advent is a season of preparing, of taking some time to reflect, but also to anticipate the coming of Jesus. We have good news, and there is good news that we celebrate that is to come. And last week, with the beautiful reflections that we were led on, time to maybe take some more intentional time to stop not to rush, not to hurry, but actually to make some time for God and to try and give him a bit more of our attention. And I, like you, um, probably have a very busy life. You know, you're juggling multiple things in your life, work pressures, family pressures, 
stuff of life, your own expectations, wanting to do some of the things you're passionate about. And actually subconsciously or even consciously, what we realize is we get so busy, so preoccupied, so concerned with trying to live the life we want, that somehow God struggles to get to the center of our lives. We struggle maybe to hear him. And actually there are times in my life, if I'm honest, I've been so preoccupied with my stuff that if Jesus was sat where Daniel sat, he had a loudspeaker and he pounded through it, not that he would do that obviously because he'd be perfectly capable of communicating with me, but if he did that, that even then, I'm not sure I would really be listening. So preoccupied with my own stuff am I that would I recognize the words of life that are coming from Jesus to me. And so for us in this Advent season, one of the challenges and part of my challenge this morning is this, is that are we ready to actually receive what God has for us? Are we ready to receive it? I might have told this before, but it just came to mind again this morning. But when I was growing up in a child, I grew up in the church. I have a brother and sister two and a half years older than me. And one of the traditions in the church I grew up with is that if you were in Sunday school once a year, the children would perform in front of the church with various things that they would have to learn, do. And I still remember learning Psalm 1 off by heart and having to stand up and recite that. There's a way of memorizing scripture that still sits on your life. My sister, one year, um, had to memorize this poem that seems a bit twee, but went something like this. It said, it started like this. It said this, it said, if Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. I won't bore you with the rest of the poem, but essentially it goes on to say, what would you do? What would you move? What would you hide? What would you give a bit more prominence to in your house? Or what would you do to celebrate that Jesus was coming to your house? Today we're continuing to think about preparing for Christmas by looking at the person of John the Baptist. I'm not going to go through the passages you know, in terms of systematically, but I'm going to look a little bit at John the Baptist as a whole through some of the readings we've had as well. Now, it's a funny thing. Um, I don't know whether you have thought about the person of John the Baptist much in your life before. I mean, it's actually funny, isn't it? I mean, he's called John the Baptist. The Baptist was not his surname, just in case you're unsure about that. That's not what he was given with when he was born. But it's become how he's described. John was the Baptist. And it's a little bit like when you have, um, when you're growing up and you have, or even maybe later in life, when people become associated with something that seems to capture the essence of what their life is either about or something about them. There's a description that encapsulates what this person is all about. What distinguished them from other people? And obviously we see a little bit of that. It's quite fascinating, some of the bits of Scripture, where we see God renaming people in Scripture. Jacob became Israel. Peter became 
the rock on which the church is built. And also other people we see throughout Scripture, all sorts of people who have become synonymous with certain things. Barnabas is a great encourager. Paul, a great missionary. And actually we associate certain people, certain things with individuals and their lives, the impact they made on your life, on their lives at the time. I mean, it reminded me a little bit more frivolously that when I was at school here, there were a few teachers that we managed to give nicknames to, most of which weren't very complimentary, if I'm perfectly honest. But they captured something of the person. I was saying to Des, I won't be rude to Des this morning, who was called Des, I think, that's right, when I was at school. But there was one particular teacher who um, was called Hitler. There was another of my uh, teachers who was uh, very affectionately called Bing Bong because of his, the way he talked and some of the ways he went about things. We attach names because of the impression they give and there's something about how they relate, how they work to us, and we give our own interpretation of that. One of the things I get the privilege of being as part of here is you get a privilege of being invited into people's lives, both at great times of great celebration like weddings and baptisms like we had last week, but also at times of real sadness of funerals. And it is a time when you take a funeral where a number of people will come to you and say, well, you know, how am I going to remember this person? How am I going to remember this person? What words am I going to use? What's the essence of this person to me, and how am I going to do that? And so actually, what I'm going to ask you to do, it's a little bit follow-on from last week, but I'm just going to take a couple of minutes. And for those of you who find it helpful to write something down, there's a little bit of card in front of you. And we are going to take a couple of minutes quiet before I move on. And I'd like you just to take a couple of minutes just to think through this before we go any further. What's your life about? This is a big question this morning. What's your life about? If you're thinking, well, that's a big question, Tim, let me put it a different way. If Jesus, or God, or however you want to understand God, was sat next to you, how do you think he would describe you? What are the words he would use that would say, this is what you're about? What impact do you think you're created in this world to do, or is that too big a thing? What is your life all about? I know that's quite a difficult question, but we're going to take two minutes of quiet. I'd just like you to take some time to think that. Really, when it comes to it, what are you here for? What are you committed to? How do you see yourself?
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning that you see every single person here and the children and the leaders downstairs who are leading our children's work this morning as whole people. You see the whole picture of our lives. And I want to thank you for that. There's something really releasing about that. But Father, I pray too, that would you set us free from some of the things we believe about ourselves or other people have spoken over our lives that actually are not of you and are not good. Would you set us free, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you'll bear with me, I'm just going to do some John the Baptist stuff. We're going to uh, keep going through that. John the Baptist, for me, is a really interesting biblical character. And actually, if you read through the narratives in the New Testament, it's a really rich character. And the readings that Rosemary read encapsulate that too. But I don't know what you have in mind when you think about John the Baptist. Funnily enough, for me, it hasn't, isn't the Baptist bit of John the Baptist. I think I've always had, ever since I was a child, an image of a wild man in the desert with hair all over the place that might be something from a children's Bible that I read when I was a kid, this kind of wild desert-dwelling bloke who seemed to run around in the desert and do stuff. And that's my image of who John is, a man who lived in the Judean desert, a man who lived near the Jordan River who had camel hair clothing and a leather belt, who ate locusts and wild honey. There weren't many of those people in Yorkshire when I grew up there. But John also fulfills a tradition of prophets from the Old Testament, people who, like Elijah, he's kind of um, associated with Elijah and some of the other Old Testament prophets who didn't dance the tune of this world, but lived differently for God. And that was also part of how he did it. Today, it'd be a little bit more in vogue to live like John the Baptist did than maybe it was when I grew up. I'm sure if John entered, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, he'd actually be doing really well uh, in that kind of thing, both being an ambassador for Christ, but also taking all the kind of things with it in jungle life. But we also know from the readings we had, there's something a lot subtler going on about John. John came from two amazing parents, Zachariah, who was a priest, and Elizabeth, who was actually a daughter of Aaron. He was a relative of Jesus. His birth, his life, his mission, his ministry was actually prophesied by an angel. There's some beautiful words that we had read, but also in some of the other Gospels too. And did you notice that? That he was full of the Spirit before he was born. Isn't that beautiful? God's hand upon his life in a beautiful way. He was born um, around about the time of Jesus, six months difference before that of Jesus. And what we read when we see all this and we read some of the beautiful things, it's very, very clear that God had good plans for John. 
who's described in lots of different ways, but one of the ways he's described as a righteous and a holy man. Some of the things that are said about, said about him are beautiful. And so I wonder this morning, as we reflect on the fact that actually this is John, do we have any sense whatsoever of the same, that the same God of the universe has his same hand on our lives? Maybe not as dramatically as John in terms of shaping the whole of human history, but actually God has good plans for your life too. That he has a calling on your life and a purpose for your life that actually you can take hold of. And that means every generation, not just certain parts of your life. God still longs to be with you and to use you in every part. So what was John's life all about? What do we see too in through the readings? John's life and ministry obviously was really significant in terms of tying together the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that the narration of God's activity through human history. And John is one of those people who sits right in the middle of that. It'd been quiet, the prophets had been quiet for many, many years before Jesus, before John comes along at this point in history. He's seen as a forerunner of Jesus, the man who came to baptize people for them to receive forgiveness of sins. Now, for those of you who know a little bit about some of the Old Testament things, at the time, it was actually really important to be ritually pure. The process of getting clean could happen anywhere. You could get clean anywhere. But actually, forgiveness of sins could only happen if you went to the temple. It could only happen if you went to the temple. And John the Baptist and his disciples provide a bridge between the Jewish traditions that were there and also the New Testament traditions as Jesus comes into the world. John, through his own ministry, was not popular with the religious leaders. Very few prophets are. Acts 18 and Acts 19, if you go on to read the history of the church beyond Jesus' life, if you go and read it, we see what it describes as John baptized with a baptism of repentance and water, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come and after, after him, that is Jesus. He baptized through repentance and water and pointed people to Jesus, the one to come. And then we see beautifully at Jesus' own baptism later on in Scripture, John baptizing Jesus with water, but the Holy Spirit descending on, John, on Jesus like a dove. John's ministry was one of bringing liberation from all that entangles, all that binds, all the stuff of sin that separates us from God and from each other, calling people to repentance, to turning to God, but also offering forgiveness and freedom. Great multitudes, we read, great multitudes followed John from every quarter and were, were attracted to, feed, to be able to receive cleansing and forgiveness by turning and repenting. 
I want to say this morning and to remind us, sometimes I think we get so uh, wrapped up in so many things, we forget some really simple things. One of the things I just want to say this morning is this, being clean, being forgiven is a beautiful thing. Being clean is a beautiful thing. Many of us spent huge amounts of our time, our energy, trying to clean our physical world. We clean our houses, we clean our gardens, we clean our cells, we clean our offices, prioritizing physical healing and a kind of physical order to the world. But God longs, God still longs for us to get clean on the inside too. In fact, God longs to see us wholly clean, body, soul, mind, and spirit, washing the dirt away of our own, but also of others, and discovering a life that's free from dogged continually by guilt and by shame. It's a beautiful thing to be freed. It's a beautiful thing to be clean. It's a beautiful thing to be forgiven, and it's still, through Jesus, on offer today. In the 1800s, um, one in six mothers who were expecting children actually died in childbirth. It was called childbed fever, I gather. And there's a doctor at the time, um, and one of the routines of the doctors at the time in the 1800s is that doctors would come in and they would go and perform autopsies before making their way to see expectant mothers without ever pausing to wash their hands. There was a Hungarian doctor called Dr. Ignat Semmelweis. Apologies for my pronunciation if you're Hungarian. And he was the first person in history to associate these examinations with the resultant infection and death of these mothers. He washed his hands between the autopsies and going to see these expectant mothers. And only one in 50 of his, parent, of his mothers died, compared to one in six of everybody else. He went away um, lecturing, um, explaining to people, trying to persuade people that actually they need to change their practice, debating with his colleagues that all they needed to do was to wash their hands. He said, I've shown you it makes a difference. I've proved that less mothers die. But gentlemen, he said, but while we talk, we talk, we talk, women are dying. All I'm asking you is to simply wash your hands. Please, wash your hands. But virtually no one believed him in the 1800s. No one's going to believe an outspoken Hungarian. Why would they change their practice now? Semmelweis actually died insane at the age of 47 with his wash basins discarded, his colleagues laughing in his face, and also thousands of dead women ringing in his ears. Wash me. Wash me was the cry of King David. Wash me. Wash was the message of John the Baptist. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me said the towel-draped Jesus 
to Peter. God offers us cleansing. We're called to get washed. Ultimately, in the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, God has done everything, literally everything, in his power to offer us cleansing and forgiveness. But will you receive them? Will you repent and receive? When we baptized Ernest last Sunday, I still love some of the words of the baptism service. The words make it really clear that there is a battle in this world for what's good, for what's right, and what's holy. And in the baptism service, we talk about that. We say there's a battle against sin, the fullness of the world, and the devil. But that in Jesus, God has uniquely and finally intervened in human history and brought us freedom, cleansing through the cross, through his cross and resurrection. A cross and resurrection that is sufficient for all the darkness of our lives. You know, our sins, the things we've done, and the things other people have done to us are not our friends. They're really not a comfort blanket. I get it. I've done some terrible things in my life. Other people have done some terrible things to me. And it's easy to just see them as your friends somehow that I'll never get free, I'll never get forgiven. God doesn't want to forgive me. I'm not worthy of his cleansing. But the cross doesn't say that. Jesus' life doesn't say that. He came to break the power of all those things and to bring cleansing to us. This morning, do we want to experience his freedom and his cleansing afresh? Receive his forgiveness and experience his cleansing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, just one quick thing. As we look at John's life, what we see is he is described as a righteous and holy man. But also, one of the other ways of describing John's life was described, and we see it in John's Gospel in John 5. Jesus actually describes him as a shining light, a burning and shining lamp. What a great description to be called a burning and shining lamp, bringing light and the beauty and hope to the world. When we meet as a staff team to pray on a morning here in church, we tend to say these words most mornings. May the light of your presence, O God, set our hearts on fire with love for you. May the light of your presence, O God, set our hearts on fire with love for you. Shine, Lord Jesus, through us, in us, through us, to a world that's crying out for hope and light and goodness. One of our prayers for us as a church is in that picture, that image in Matthew 5, that we would shine like a city on a hill to Walcott, Bath, and the world. That we are burning and a shining lamp for Christ. There are many, and it may not always seem on the surface, who are in a prison of darkness. Sense of guilt and unworthiness sense of their own sense of shame and guilt of things they've done, of oppression and depression, of being overwhelmed by very real and dark forces. But our prayer 
as we in this season of Advent in 2019, is that, God, we cry again that both for ourselves and for the many people we know that would connect again, would meet again, would experience again the power of God and discover a God who brings freedom, who brings peace, who brings his love, who brings joy, who brings grace and healing and who's present with them in the world, even though that can be quite difficult. We can make a real difference in this world. We are called to shine, to make a difference in this world in 2019, not just in the past. We're called to shine. God gives us his presence. God gives us his very self, promises his life to enable us to shine for him. One of the commentators, as I close, uh, said this, and if you bear with me, he said, the author of Luke puts the birth story of John the Baptist in continuity of the type of story that goes from barrenness leading to divine blessing. John the Baptist goes from barrenness and silence to divine blessing. So this morning, if you're feeling unqualified, if you feel ashamed, if you feel broken, if you feel forgotten, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel somehow that there's not a chance on this earth that God would want to do something in and through you, then maybe actually that's the qualification for God to come and meet you. Or if you think this Christmas is way beyond your ability to deal with, God longs to meet us, God longs to use us. As it says, we're called to decrease so he can increase. God longs to use us as a blessing to others this Christmas. So as we prepare to receive Jesus with joy this Christmas, John the Baptist reminds us and inspires us that each one of us can, taking hold of what God wants for us, make a real difference. But we come to God in humility. We come to God in repentance and faith. We come to God seeking his peace receiving his forgiveness, receiving his cleansing that will power us to shine in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, and with our social clubs this, this season and the season to come. Are you ready to receive Jesus this Christmas? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that for each person who is here today, there is a unique sense of your call on their life, a unique sense of what you want them to do and how you want them to live. That each one is generally precious to you. You love them with a love that we can't describe. But also there's something particular that you know everything about them. And so, Father, I pray afresh, would you come by your Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you come? And I particularly pray this morning that would you come to people who know they long to be free, they long to be clean, and they long for a fresh start with you. 
if you just pray a simple prayer of repentance, of turning away of all that tangles, all that binds, and turn to you for hope and for salvation. Thank you that you're the God who saves. In Jesus' name, amen.